What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Marrow Show by Marrow Ministries. I'm Alexander Wade, and I'm here with Nick Kennecott and Luke Walker. And today's topic is church history. Uh, man, uh, all believers, no matter uh, what denomination you're a part of, uh, man, if you profess the title of Christian, there is a larger story uh, that you are a part of. There is a, a rich, broad history um, that uh, all of us would do well uh, to spend some time getting familiar with. Uh, and so, man, church history, I can't think of a broader hmm. title to an episode, uh, but uh, let's just start with just high level. Why should we even take time trying to better understand the history of the church? Yeah, well, you already said part of it. You said the story of the church, but history is really his story. You see wow. what I did there? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> church history is very important. Uh, we talk about historical theology. That's what we're talking about. The, the working out of the Christian faith throughout the history of the church. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about the history of the church, we're not saying from the time the first Christian church was planted, but we're talking about from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through till now, mm -hmm. that that story is one that's been ongoing and God has had his people the entire time. And so what we're really talking about is the history of the people of God mm -hmm. and, uh, and how that has played out and the developments that have come through that highs and the lows, the major players, the people that God has used uh, to to help shape our thinking and our understanding of the scriptures and their applications. Um, without a uh, without understanding church history, uh, basically what we're saying is that I am I am smart enough, I am wise enough on my own to come to the Bible and discover everything there is to discover without the help of anyone else. And that's just a prideful, arrogant position that is not true for anybody ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah man. And, and man, Luke, I know you're someone who's enjoyed studying church history as well. Where did that come from? Like, I know when I grew up, uh, I grew up in church, but I can't really think of any time there was an emphasis placed on um, getting familiar with the history of the church. Um, it was kind of something that I stumbled, I feel like I just kind of stumbled into it and I was curious and a lot of ways that I answered questions was by studying church history. So for you, was that something that came up in college or even before then, did you have lots of questions and, and start seeking out uh, some church history stuff? Um, so I grew up similarly in the sense that church history was a, you know, it was a fundamentalist Baptist church where I grew up, so not big on church history, you know. Um, but you know, just dealing with certain issues, I began reading the Puritans in college, and had you know just had questions about about their lives, and so began digging into more of the history of of who they were and, and how they rolled, and that kind of got me started in it. Um, but it was really the realization that we are church history. Mm -hmm. You know, when we die, we'll be able to leave behind the legacy of whatever it is that we've left. Mm -hmm. And we are our church history. So what's happened before is connected with what's happening now. And what's happening now is connected with what will happen. 
So it's, 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 it's really arrogant to, and we do this naturally. We think this is the most important age that's ever been. Today is the most mm -hmm. important. We know more now than we did before. Ancient man was foolish. In a lot of churches today, you can kind of get that sense that it's like, okay, you know, what happened before was, was old and traditional, and, but what's happening now is what's really important. You forget. Every Christian who's ever lived, lived in real time, just like we are. Mm -hmm. right. Same world. It wasn't black and white for them. It's the real world here. Right. Yeah. And what they went through matters for us. What they struggled with, the, the difficulties that they had to solve, the statements of faith they came up with, the very way they dealt with any number of issues, that's part of our, our heritage as mm -hmm. Christians. And we have that wisdom from them that we want to glean. So I guess for me, just really tasting and seeing the goodness of God and the riches of our, of our treasury that we have in church history mm -hmm. has, has given me a great love for it. I mm -hmm. continue to, to grow in that and want to know more about every age of the church. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I can say, man, outside of studying scripture, uh, studying church history has been the most enjoyable thing for me. Yeah. Um, uh, in part, uh, my confidence grows in the work that God has been doing um, to see like, man, this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new issue. Um, to be able to take something uh, that I believe sincerely and go back thousands of years and say like, wow, like God's people have believed this for yeah. thousands of years. That gives yeah. me great comfort now. Absolutely. Right. So what are some of the practical ways uh, that you've benefited uh, from your studies in church history? Well, actually, that ties into sort of my initial foyer into uh, church history was... Your uh, initial what? <laughs> foyer. Foyer? Uh, not on my list either. Ain't that the, the spot in, in the, the front? Foyer. In, the foyer. foyer. The foyer. foyer. <laughs> yeah, that's the spot in the front. Foray. Yeah, in the Foray. front. You know, they'd be having chairs and stuff yeah, in there yeah. sometimes. Uh, the foyer. Yeah, the foyer. Uh, when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what I believed and where I wanted to go to church and everything. And uh, I had some friends that were Eastern Orthodox. And so I went with them for a while and I was checking it out and they're big into their history. But the statement the Eastern Orthodox Church makes is that they have been unchanged since 33 AD. Mm, wow. I'm like, well, I mean, you got here in a car and you speak English, so I don't think that's entirely <laughs> don't true. Don't forget but the hats. Yeah, the hats and all, yeah. Um, but that really got me interested because I was thinking, I want to, I want to investigate this claim a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so I started kind of looking into that from their perspective, where that was, and kind of tracing that lineage. But I remembered in the midst of that when I in school we had read uh, in a literature class an excerpt from "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" by Jonathan Edwards, and so I thought, oh, let me let me read some other things this guy has has preached or written or whatever, and so. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was kind of the first step into church history that I took. Um, and I was reading C.S. Lewis at the time and, and things as well. So, um, so all of that really helped me to see, okay, we have this church claiming that church history is their history. Mm -hmm. You know, not in the broad sense of being a Christian, mm -hmm. but it's their history yeah. in their church. Yeah. And so I wanted to see, is this accurate? And when I started to see there's other ideas and perspectives, and those perspectives are also traceable back many generations, 
there's there's more to this and then from there to start to look at things like the creeds and the confessions so a lot of Christians, uh, unfortunately today, not as many as would have been in the past, but a lot of Christians still are familiar with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and wanting to think about, okay, how old are these um, and how were they, how did this come to be? How was this composed? Who was involved? Why were they involved? What, was the, what were the circumstances around that? And you start to unfold that, you realize and the church is filled with brilliant theologians that are immensely helpful to us, seeing and articulating things in a way that, uh, you know, we may not be able to do today without their help. And, uh, and that just really got me fascinated in church history. And I think one of the reasons why I try to emphasize it so often uh, in my preaching and teaching, even teaching courses on church history are seminary in Nigeria, we require four semesters of church history going through different periods uh, of the church's history because we think that's so vital to understanding why we are where we are today in terms mm -hmm. of what we believe, that we're not isolated, we're not on an island onto ourselves, we're not, uh, you know, pulling ourselves away from everything else God has done, we're a part of it, we're not isolated from it. Mm -hmm. And so we want, and, and that helps us to maintain the consistency of the church and sound theology from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been really helpful uh, for me studying church history. My first like real deep dive into church history was I had a, man, I had questions about the Lord's Day. Hmm. And that was it, it was like being raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, you're, it's, it's drilled into you, right? You keep Sabbath from sundown Friday, the sundown Saturday, and uh, you don't really know exactly why. You're told some things as to why people, essentially people who worship on Sunday, they just do that because they don't know any better. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, like they're ignorant. Like the Catholic Church changed it, and the Protestants didn't. Don't Constantine. Well, you know, only, only the few, only the really enlightened ones will take it all the way back to Constantine. <laughs> but most of them will say the Roman Catholic Church changed it when the Reformation happened, they didn't know. That, that, that they're just still keeping a Roman Catholic tradition. And so like the Protestant church is... Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, that one's true, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I started asking questions, man. I was like, man, I really want to study this, man. So I started going back and trying to study, essentially studying the Lord's Day in like 100-year increments mm -hmm. to try to see, like, when did Christians in mass start worshiping on the first day of the week? Mm -hmm. um, and no matter how far back I went, I made it literally all the way to the New Testament. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, yo, no matter who I was reading, what period I was reading, even getting into, um, uh, man, reading uh, like Justin Martyr and, and the Didache. And mm -hmm. you're, at this point, you're getting back. It's like, yo, at this point now, it's like, man, the book of Revelation was right around there. And it's just like, yo. So to be able to um, take something, um, uh, take a doctrine, something you believe, something you feel very unsure about because of how you, what you were taught growing up and stuff like that. And then to be able to trace the history of it all throughout, all the way back to the New Testament, yeah. um, gave me a ton of confidence moving forward um, and leading myself, leading my family uh, and so on, man. So uh, man, church history was a great benefit uh, to me. And it just made me curious about uh, taking that same process with other things, I believe, man, it's been a uh, enjoyable time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but man, church history-wise, man, uh, have you found yourself attached 
to a specific period Ooh. or a specific person or collection of writings? Is there something where, like, man, there's something about this era that I just want to chill out here? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know my co-host Nick Kennicott is really into Thomas Aquinas, <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't want to steal that thunder. Yeah, right. Uh, it's changed over the years, you know. Initially, it was Puritans, mm. right? Puritans, John Owen, but really the whole lot of them, Stephen Sharnock, all that. Then I got into Spurgeon, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then lately it's been more like moving back to the early church, though. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's been seasons in my life where I focused my studies in those areas yeah. and even doing some medieval studies. You yeah. Know? Well, talk to me about the Puritans, though, because mm -hmm. the Puritans was pretty close to when you got saved, right? When you started like getting really into the Puritans, when I got saved in 1646, <laughs> not you know what I'm talking. You're I have that vibe. <laughs> this guy. Very shortly after I came to the Lord, I'm reading the Bible. Don't even know what's in it. Mm. So exciting. And then uh, a brother of ours sent me a couple Puritan books, Ooh. Puritan paperbacks, John Owen, and then uh, William Gurnall, Christian in Complete Armor, and. I had never read anything like that. It was so dope. Mm. And that just launched me. Yeah. We were roommates at the time, started mm. collecting Puritan works. Yeah. And <coughs> so that was that was just something else, man. That gave me a sense of the greatness of God. You get that from scripture, but there's really giftings there. You know, the giftings that God has given to the church in, in history, they're for us, not just mm -hmm. for the people who lived when they lived. So I still love the Puritans, man. I hope to continue my studies in the Puritans. I mean, that's really w what I want to do. So, you know, I haven't dropped that. But, you know, you begin to see then more, oh, but they're stewarding things that were from earlier times also. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to the early church, the church fathers, um, so many things there, and then back to the apostles. So I love, you know, you play your favorites, you know, whatever, but I like it all, man. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. about it. You know, it's yeah. the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about the same thing for you, Nick. Man, is there a specific period, a specific collection of writings, maybe a specific author um, uh, that that you just want to camp out there for a little while? Yeah, I mean, very similar to Luke, um, but uh, I've I've always enjoyed reading Calvin. I think uh, so rich, so helpful, so expansive. Um, really, really good. If I want to sleep instead of reading stereo instructions, I will read Thomas Aquinas. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> maybe refrigerator instructions are a little more lively. You it does almost, take a certain intellectual prowess. That's, that's right. I, I, can't, I can't reduce my IQ that low, so I can't do it. Um, I, uh, I love reading Augustine. Uh, some, some rich stuff there, and you really see Actually, if you read Calvin, he references Augustine all the time uh, and is, is constantly going back to that. Um, Edwards, I mentioned, um, but I, I've really, last few years, I've spent a lot of time reading the English Particular Baptists, and I have a three-volume set on the history of the English Particular Baptists, and it's, it's fascinating, because that's our heritage as Reformed Baptists today, and just learning about Andrew Ford, all that they... Bedome. Right. E D D O M E. I don't yeah. know how pronounce it. Yeah, but don't class on that right now. Okay, good. Love that stuff. Yeah. That's that's reading through that makes you really appreciate what we have today in so many ways. Because they literally spilt blood for us to be able to uh, to stand on our own two feet 
as Reformed Baptists, mm -hmm. as particular Baptists. And not be um, persecuted by exactly. Presbyterian brethren. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Whom we love. Let's uh, oh, emphasize indeed. that. We love them very we much. We love their support for the show. Also. Yes, of course. Yes. yes. MerrillMinistries.org. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, those are some of the, and, and then uh, um, just working through uh, a lot of the works of Spurgeon has been great. Um, I, I, even in more recent history, listening to early recordings when sermons were first starting to be recorded, and um, I listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones all the time. I, I still do that. I find those to be very helpful and rich. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, whole, the whole genre, but, but, you know, like most Reformed guys, I, I like to camp out in sort of the Reformation Puritan era. Mm -hmm. um, I find that stuff to be um, most helpful, but you got to get back. You got to you got to go further back and dig yeah. around there because there's a lot there that those guys built on. Mm -hmm. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, and we can't forget that. Yeah, yeah, man. I found uh, a lot of joy and spent a lot of time, um, man, with the fathers. Mm -hmm. uh, and man, you always pick up on some some nuggets, man. It's for some reason the things I get the most joy out of aren't like the big long treatises, it could just be like us. They so have difficult a, to finish. It, it, it's so, so difficult, difficult to finish. Yeah, so difficult yeah. to finish. Yeah. But, but man, just a, a simple sentence or a phrase or yeah. just, just something that reveals like the way they thought about something in a very simplistic way. Mm -hmm. I just get stuck with that for a long time. And, um, and it's made it really enjoyable. It's almost like, like, uh, uh, what'd they call it uh, when the 49ers were doing all the go sifting for gold and all that stuff? Well, no, sifting, sifting for gold. There was a term. Y'all tell us if you're prospectors. That, I think that might have been it. They're prospecting. Right, there you go. I was about to put it out to the to the to the Marrowverse and see if y'all knew what I was talking about. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah. So let's roll with prospecting for now. Also, trademark that Marrowverse. I like that. All right, y'all. So <laughs> meta. Yeah. Uh, but but. Man, as y'all have spent time going back, um, ha like has been has there been a particular? It could have been a a doctrine, um, a, a train of thought, um, a, a, a particular truth that man I don't know just just caused you to kind of have a sense of awe and wonder. Yes. Um, anything like that in your time in your studies? Yes. The first time I read the Marrow of Modern Divinity. Mm. Right. Without a doubt, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because that is what we're building our our you know our work on here. But uh, that's the reason why, because it was so influential in my life and ministry and preaching. Um, it really changed significantly how I think about the Bible, how I think about preaching, how I think about evangelism. All of that is wrapped into it, and so. The Marrow of Modern Divinity by Edward Fisher, and then even the more recent work based on that, um, the Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Whole Christ, um, explaining all of that. And, and it's, it's rooted in a historical tradition, but also a historical controversy within the church. And uh, what, one of the fascinating things you learn about church history, and I wrote an article about this years ago, um, that God allows the church to have heretics and heresies present so that the church will refine mm -hmm. its theological positions in certain areas. 
And so if you look at like the Arian controversy, for example, why was Arius, why did God allow Arius to be so influential in the church preaching straight up heresy? Mm -hmm. Well, the church needed to uh, refine its Christology. And it was done as a result of responding to Arius and his mm. false teaching. Yeah. And, uh, and so you see, you know, when we're in the middle of controversies in the church, it's painful, it's hard, we, we lament it, we don't want it to be the case. But if you look back through history, you realize those are the moments that God used to really help the church to make progress yeah. and to have a greater understanding of what's right and true. Yeah. Mm. Our clearest theological statements as, you know, as the church come out of those mm -hmm. fires. Christological statements in the early ages of the church, Trinitarian statements, and even the, you know, the confessions coming out of the Reformation, post-Reformation. They were born out of the fires of controversy, so they were able to really pinpoint those doctrines, and we receive those, man. I mean, they're not new. They're not new to the Bible, but they're like newly refined. Mm -hmm for us and cast in those very clear terms. So that's valuable. Uh, so a thing for me with church history, so being a pastor, preacher, loving God's word, and you know, loving Christ in all scripture, it's been so awesome to see that that is the rich heritage of, of the church. Mm -hmm. That back to the, the Puritans, reformers, back through you know, some of the highlights of the Middle Ages, back to the early church, there's a radically Christ-centered view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. That the Bible's not just giving us information, it's presenting to us a living Savior. Mm -hmm. And believers partake of Him. We, we commune in fellowship with Him through the Word, you know. And uh, we talked about this before, but in our modern context, there's a lot of, you know, narrowing of the Word. and. One very famous seminary, you know, in one of their lectures, they said, uh, if you want to preach Jesus from the Old Testament, there's like 200 and some verses that right. mention him. If you want to preach him from there, you got to go to one of those. <laughs> That's not what the Puritans believed. That's not what John Owen believed. That's not what St. Augustine believed, not by mm -hmm. a long shot. Mm -hmm. That's not even what Martin Luther believed, or Calvin, even though they were more along those lines, maybe grammatical, historical. So. That's been such an encouragement to see that that is the history, like Song of Solomon, okay? Today, a lot of pastors, they'll have difficulty seeing that as anything other than earthly marriage. Mm -hmm. you know, that's what it is. Well, obviously, that's what it is, but what does it mean? Mm. What's, what is God communicating to us through this? The, the, the history of the church has so uh, treasured that book as an expression of God's love to the church that I believe it is the most preached on book of church history. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Fact check me on that. Yeah, I, I think, think it's that's true. real. And that's because for all church history up till our very modern times, the people instinctively saw scripture as a presentation of Christ from yeah. cover to cover. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what Luke is on the loop. He's listening to Mark Driscoll's series through Song of Solomon. <laughs> yeah. You got yeah. that on Audible. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, one, one, of the, one of the sort of categories of church history I love to read are biographies. And uh, more specifically, I really enjoy the biographies of missionaries and the evangelists of the Great Awakening. So reading about George Whitfield and Wesley and those guys. Um, but then all the missionaries, William Carey and, um, and guys like that, David Brainerd. 
um, some of those are they're soul stirring, they're encouraging, they're convicting, they're very helpful uh, in my Christian life. And let's be honest, as pastors, we're always looking for great uh, illustrations and and things to use in our preaching. And man, there's there are gold mines there to uh, to behold. So. But uh, I, I'm, and I'm always encouraging Christians to read Christian biographies. And if it's done well, so if you have a biographer like, uh, like Ian Murray, for example, writing something, you know it's going to be good. And part of what's so good about it is that they deal with this person in the same way that the Bible deals with people. They show you what's great and wonderful and honorable, but they also show you what's deficient and what's broken and what needs, you know, where there were blind spots that they had in the same way we all have blind spots. And so to be able to see that in the life of someone that we admire, that we respect from history, but to see they were, they were men just like us and, uh, and to see the struggles they went through and the things they endured, but, but also to be convicted by their faithfulness that in so many ways ours pales in comparison to, to who they were and what they accomplished for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we can understand they lived in a different era, a different time. They had different challenges than we do. And Lord willing, we can be people of faith that in a hundred years they would look back at us and say, Man, those guys were really faithful with what they had and the context they were in. That's good. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, man, we are <clears throat> we're talking uh, about church history uh, broadly, man. Uh, uh, we are uh, a part uh, of a great history, a great heritage of believers that have come uh, before us, uh, and so we're going to keep that going. Uh, man, practically, man, in terms of uh, yourself as an individual believer or the churches that you lead. We've all made the decision to attach our churches uh, to a historical document, like the 16, specifically the 1689 Second Anabaptist Confession of Faith. Um, but not every church chooses to do that. Um, not every church um, chooses to officially um, say, hey, we're, we're going to start here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to start uh, uh, with church history, right? <laughs> and, and, right. and aligning ourselves. Um, uh, uh, with the with the greater story of our church, um, whether that's through confessions, whether that's through creeds, or both. Um, so, what went into you guys's thought process on? Hey, this is this is a wise place for us to start. This is this is where we should align ourselves and, and, and identify with these documents. Um, and 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 then what does? How does the church benefit from that? And then what? Uh, how do? What are other churches missing? You know, um, what are they missing out on uh, by by not attaching themselves uh, to the historical church in that way? So we found our way to it. You know, I, w- I was introduced to the 1689 after I'd been a pastor for some time. So uh, and was just swept off my feet by the historic. Doc- I'd heard of it, but I hadn't seen it put in context. So uh, I read the the uh, particularness of Baptist covenant theology by what's his name up in the country we shall not mention to the north of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that just swept me off my feet because I knew I wasn't Paedo-Baptist and I knew I wasn't like a New Covenant theology guy. I knew I believed in the abiding validity of God's law. Mm-hmm. So when Baptist Covenant theology, I really gravitated towards that. So it's a document that we identify with, you know. We take new members through it. 
just to give them a lay of the land of the doctrine that's going to be undergirding what we're doing at the church. Thanks for joining us in this episode of The Marrow Show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you tune in next week for part two. And make sure you check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you next time.